Welcome to Talk of the Town, a podcast by The Town FC where we have candid conversations with Bay Area athletes, sports influencers, and individuals pushing the game forward. I'm your host, Joe Johnson. This week we sit down with women's sports advocate, member of our town council, and current interim head coach of UC Santa Cruz's women's soccer team, Lilia Dosanlis. We'll be getting to know all about Lilia and her mission for equity in sports. Tune in. Lilia, how are you doing today? Pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. This is exciting. Yeah, for sure. All right, so before we jump in, I want to ask one little kind of icebreaker question. So what is one in- interesting fact about yourself that most people wouldn't know? Oh, boy. Um, an interesting fact about me. <laughs> Why is it so hard? My mind just went blank. Um, so basically, I would choose that my favorite food is uh beans <laughs> beans <laughs> i love beans i uh that's high on my list um i mean to the point so my mom makes these beans my family's from colombia and i can literally just drink the juice of the beans like it's just that's how die hard i am for beans I just love them love them love nice. them. i mean beans are very nutritious so you know can't be mad yeah. at that right bonus exactly all right. So you, you, you mentioned, you know, being from Colombia and everything. So tell us a little bit about your background, you know, where you're from, obviously, your origin story, if you will, and then when you fell in love with the game. Yeah, sure. So um, I was born in the U.S. Uh, both of my parents are immigrants from Colombia, first gen. And um, uh, in Southern California, I grew up hanging out around my mom's family. Uh, she has eight siblings. And so it was a really big family, lots of cousins. And, you know, the, the, the memory that I hold on to the most, I think it was like in um, 1986, the World Cup. Um, Colombia was in the World Cup. And it was like at the height of like men's national team, Colombia just like succeeding, crushing it. And the vibe of being in that space. So we were watching it on TV in the U.S., with other Colombian families and just being so excited. Like the energy was electric in just a living room. And we happened to win that game and we just poured out into the streets. And this is just like downy California. And the way that you would celebrate in Colombia, just making a lot of noise, singing, dancing. Um, we had like toilet paper rolls like for confetti. We're driving, we're honking and just creating all this commotion and excitement and joy and energy that I was like, oh, I'm in, I'm in. And yeah, that uh, ever since, like I I have just been so drawn to this sport. So family gatherings, you play, uh, you know, you go to the, the park, you play. Um, and I got the opportunity to play like organized soccer. My parents put me in for, for a bit. Like we didn't, we weren't able to like afford the, the competitive um, like club teams and that kind of thing when I was growing up. Um, so, you know, I did my best to, to get, um, access and things like that, but that was definitely something that was a little bit limiting in my childhood, but, um, yeah, so I played, I played all through like growing up, I played in high school, I played a couple of years in college. Um, uh, I, I went to community college. I was at Rio Hondo college for a season. I was at Cypress college for a season at Cypress. We got to win the state champions, the, the national championship and, um, so I got some cool experiences through that. When I transferred to a four-year university, I went to UC Santa Barbara. 
and um, I was a major in women's studies and um, I was kind of on a track that was away from sports. Um, I graduated and I started working for Santa Barbara County alcohol and drug prevention programs. Um, it was where I was like a, a program coordinator managing a bunch of different things and um, the experience there what I noticed that what I enjoyed the most was when I was working with community organizations and being out in the field. Um, and so at that point, I kind of decided to uh, change gears in my, my life, in my career. And um, at that point, I was kind of, yeah, I had distanced myself from soccer for different reasons. And I realized that I was missing it, that I was missing that piece. Um, when I was in college, I got to coach a little bit. Um, one of my teammates was coaching uh, a JV team at California High School, and she asked me to help her. It was a frosh team, actually. And I really loved that experience. And then, like, a couple of years before that in college, I had been working for, like, city programs, parks and recreation. Um, I was a sports camp counselor. I was, like, all these kinds of camp environments and I had done that for five or six years. And then I was just kind of remembering that space and that time and, and working with youth and working with kind of athletics and athletes. And, and that's when I decided that I wanted to get back into coaching. And so in Santa Barbara, um, I started coaching at San Marcos High School. And then ultimately I applied for this grad program at UC Berkeley. And that's how I ended up in the Bay Area. Um, I got my master's in education, and there's a program called the Cultural Study of Sports and Education, and there was uh, an emphasis on kind of working with student athletes, and um, there was a lot around like academic performance and kind of what are the things that are hindering them um, from excelling in the education realm, in the academic realm, and that was really interesting to me as well when I was a student athlete at Rio Hondo College, one of the things that I had noticed was that a lot of my teammates, this was kind of it. You know, they would just come to play soccer and they weren't interested. Maybe not, I'll, I'll delete that. <laughs> not that they weren't interested. They didn't have a track. They didn't have a track to get a bachelor's degree or an undergraduate degree. <clears throat> and so, and it just felt like, you know, this, this whole realm of community college of showing up and, um, and yeah, you just play your season and then you go, right? And not being able to kind of fully take advantage of the academic uh, track and, and what can it do for your future. And so that inspired my track of research when I was at UC Berkeley and kind of looking at, okay, in particular, I was studying um, Latina student athletes, college soccer players in California that were students at community college. What, what was hindering them? Um, and so at the time of the research, I haven't looked more, most recently, but Latinas were the demographic that had the least amount of bachelor degrees out of any other student population. And so some of the things that I was kind of looking at, so I started to ask questions and um, think about, okay, what what is hindering you, right? Um, and so there was things like cultural norms and... Um, there was things like machismo, there was things like access and um, equity. Um, and so, so for me at that point in time, what I was thinking about is how sports can be a conduit 
and how we can use this opportunity in education and kind of helping those student athletes, supporting those students in their route. And so, so yeah, that was a big interest of mine is like working with community college students and, and how, and higher education, how we can access higher education. So potentially there's these um, young people that have been kind of connected to sports, have built this athlete identity, and then using that connection to help them excel academically. And so, so yeah, so that was my journey. Um, I started to actually volunteer at Contra Costa Community College as an assistant coach. I was at DVC Community College as an assistant coach, and then um, coached various clubs throughout the East Bay, coached high school, coached Albany High School for a while. I'm coaching currently at Royce. Um, And the college world, um, I, I ended up being able to uh assist like interim head coach at mills college and then i was also the first head coach for the women's soccer team at Merritt college which was really cool and exciting they hadn't had soccer there before for women and then yeah and i just been hanging out in the college world ever since so uh, you're definitely the a long and the short of it <laughs> thank you um... Let's let's kind of stay on that a little bit. Um, you mentioned, you know, your degree, degrees in women's studies and, and in education. How has that helped you as a coach? So I really use that to inform my approach, um, my coaching philosophy. And so one of the things that um, I really like to highlight um, is that role of coach as an educator. And so using that as an opportunity to guide these young folks in their lives um, and so my experience with women's studies or my background in women's studies informs now how um, these students are um, kind of dealing with their like day-to-day lives, but how their identities have impacted that. And so, so I have a, a framework of looking at these hegemonic factors or structures that have historically marginalized different identities. And so... Um, and so, yeah, so so I think that the biggest piece for me is having that awareness and um, creating space for those conversations in, in when, I, when I'm coaching. So I coach primarily women and girls. And so if I think about the space of soccer itself or the space of sports, um, that has been an area where women have been historically excluded, right? Historically and intentionally excluded. Um, if you think about you know, some of the terminology in soccer that's like common nomenclature. Like if there's, if you have a defender, your, your, your teammate has a ball, they have a defender. How do you alert them that they have a defender? What do you say? Uh, I don't know. I never played. <laughs> <laughs> Look out ball on something. something like that. <laughs> that's pretty close. So typically you would say man on. Okay. And you're, you're taught that from, from you know child and on and so you're a girl playing soccer and what the the terms that you've been given the you know the 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 way to speak the language about this sport that you are in and you're doing and even if you don't like you're not a diehard like me if you're not passionate about it it's still like the space that you're in is very clearly dictating that you shouldn't be doing it that you shouldn't be playing it Right. right. Because this is how you say when there's a defender, you say man on. I'm not a man. This person's not a man. 
and and you know we can kind of talk about like um gender and kind of the implications of all that but just if we just talk about the language of it it's exclusionary just inherently or historically mm-hmm. and so so that's something that i'll bring up with my players and what what inclusive language can we use right so we say one on right we don't have to say man on we don't have to say woman on as somebody might suggest we say one on right it's very clear it's descriptive um it's specific if you have two on, if you have three on, if you have three on, you better let go of that dang ball, right? That's too many right. defenders to deal with. And so, so yeah, so those are kind of some small examples, but I think that it's really, really critical. These little pieces, these little adjustments that we kind of allow to be the status quo that really inform how we perceive ourselves in these spaces. And so that's something that I do as a coach is I help students have more of an awareness of it, um, give them the terminology for it, name it. And then that starts to build this environment and this space where you feel valuable, where you feel seen. And then in turn, what that ends up happening is that that's the, the, the recipe for then performance, right? Being in a space where you understand what the boundaries are, what the expectations are, and then you can be at your top, right? Um, and so, so yeah, those are some examples of, of how that's informed my coaching and, and what I, what my goals are when I take on a team. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, just seeing like how in depth and how like almost academic it is. Like you're not just coaching, you know, X's and O's and, you know, formations and things like that. Like you're actually, you know, teaching on a, on a deeper level, on a, on a more societal level. I think that's, that's really cool. Um, how you've kind of added that approach to your, to your game essentially. So uh, you mentioned before, you know, having coached at almost every educational level. Um, can you talk about the differences in coaching approaches at each level um, and in how you kind of adapt your style effectively to reach those players? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, I think that at its foundation, I, I want to, whatever level I'm coaching at, um, make sure that I'm operating on this foundation of respect and that that respect is is earned and not expected right and so i think that there's been there's there's been a lot of shifts that are fantastic in kind of this coach realm um where historically it's been like i'm the coach i'm in charge do what i say um if i say jump you better say how high and i i have seen the shifts which is great and this is what i'm going to continue to do is like it's more about okay can we learn what makes our athletes tick can we learn about who they are can we understand and accept that they are more than just a soccer player that there's more going on in their world and in their life um and and again it's about creating this safe space creating this environment where they feel where they feel valued where they feel seen and so um i think the i use a lot of similar kind of activities and skills and and sessions um and i really try and emphasize play and not and and play in in you know like the joy right in in loving the beautiful game like being excited um i really try and incorporate those things across the board across ages across levels that i want to generate excitement or i want to kind of create um a space that fosters that joy that excitement their creativity um and so in that way that's pretty similar i think 
um, historically. I don't work with younger players as much as I used to, but I think um, I would probably uh, reference cartoons more depending on the age group or uh, whatever music they're into. There was a time I remember I was coaching like a U11 team and we would be talking about like changing directions. And so it would be like when you go in one direction and they would be the, the children would be like, Whoa! I don't know if you know about that band named One Direction. Yeah, I know a little bit about them. Have <laughs> you heard of them? <laughs> um, and so so I would kind of like build that up. I knew that moment was coming. But again, it was again, like what gets your players excited? What makes them tick? What connects with them? And so I remember that One Direction kind of bit that I would do to to connect with them and and again like fostering that joy is something that's really important to me in my coaching um and so so i think that would be the difference is just like the references maybe um i'm not sure if people are still into spongebob but you know if you are working with college age students there might be some nostalgia around the spongebob era spongebob squarepants mm-hmm. i don't know Al, if you are familiar with that guy yeah yeah you, you know a little bit um yeah, but yeah so that's SpongeBob. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah i think that would be kind of um one difference is kind of uh adjusting the the references because i when you're teaching and this is a, a a key point you try to connect things that they are familiar with right and so you can apply the concepts and use them in your real life or in your day-to-day and so it's like similar to, to soccer. You're teaching them concepts that they can apply into their their game. Um, and then there's also like things that they can be familiar with. And so like with for the younger ages, you know, developing the appropriate stuff, um, comparing things to like, yeah. So if you're doing like a, like a burpee and you want to get up really high and then when it's a younger kid, you can be like make a star in the air, you know, like shooting star i'm a star whatever it is and then when you're working with um adults you may not say that although sometimes to be goofy you know i kind of make them dance or do a little silly thing but i think that's the the main difference yeah definitely being goofy while doing burpees it can be helpful because nobody (laughs) likes to do burpees (laughs) oh no burpees are a a rough go (laughs) yeah Let's let's stay on that just a touch. Um, what about like from the skills level? So, you, you talk about you know a lot of specialization that's happening right now, especially in soccer um, at young ages. Um, kids not really playing a bunch of different sports, but they're more, more so specializing at younger ages. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think that's helpful? Do you think it's detrimental? Um, and then a B to that is, um, do you think certain things are being taught a little too early? Um, for some kids or mm. too early for some levels? That's a great question. Um, in terms of my thoughts on whether children should be allowed to play multiple sports and be kids and enjoy their lives, I am pro that. I think that the the thing that's helpful for from an athletic perspective is, and if we even think about it in soccer, soccer has so many different movements that um, are kind of like, the baseline or foundation for other sports. And so being able to reproduce those movements is going to be very valuable for them when they play soccer. And, and so, so on the, from an athletic standpoint, I think it's great to have exposure to different sports and being able to 
move your body in different ways and kind of um, hone in on different skills of anticipation or mobility or being dynamic. Um, and then that creativity that's possible within soccer um, that's influenced by other sports, I think that's really cool. And then from a social development uh, perspective, I think it's great for them, for, for children, for youth to have different experiences and um, have a variety of experiences and, and be exposed to to different cultures or values or different types of um, children. So if, you, if we kind of think about youth sports as kind of like um, the space where you can kind of see like, oh, well, a lot of uh, families or cultures um, that identify as like Latinx uh, play soccer or will we'll encourage their children to play soccer or a lot of families that are like wealthy or white will play lacrosse or whatever it is, right? So you, you end up kind of having little pockets of, um, of youth that have, have similar experiences. So if you play different sports, that's gonna be a way to, to find different types of people. Now, in my life, one of the things that I've enjoyed so much about playing soccer is how many different types of people I've gotten to meet that I wouldn't otherwise know in, in like, you know, the world in different places. Um, I had the amazing opportunity to go to Canada for the Women's World Cup in 2015. And I met people from so many different countries and, and so many different like uh, professions, walks of life and whatever, and being unified around soccer, which was so beautiful and wonderful. Um, and I believe that that happens with other sports. I'm not sure, but I know that soccer is the number one sport in the, the world. And so I think more, most people, or there's many more different types of people playing this particular sport. Um, maybe not in the U.S. specifically, um, but but I think that exposure to different types of, of people and children and languages is going to be really, really essential and valuable for, for these um, young people. And then, you know, in terms of the specialization, um, one thing that I see a lot is burnout. And, uh, you know, like um, if you're just like soccer, 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 365, um, you know, 24-7, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's taxing. And as much as you love it, you know, there is that potential for not loving it anymore and, and then having it feel like an obligation. And especially as a, as a child, like that, that is tough. That is tough. So, um, like I said, I think that overall, so I, I feel like, I think it's valuable to play multiple sports. Um, and you know, like, I even mentioned earlier some of the athletic advantages. Um, and then I think that there ends up being kind of this notion that you get behind if you don't start early. And I think that that's also something that we need to debunk and, and think about it. I mean, it does, you know, there are advantages to being able to have done something for a long time or starting as a child or things like that. But I don't think it's, you know, like it's never too late to get into something or get excited about something or have a new passion or a new hobby. I don't think that's, um, I think that's something we should highlight. And then I think that there, the other kind of um, discourse that happens is like, well, I want my child to be good enough to get a college scholarship. And, you know, and all these young people think they're going to be professional soccer players and um, kind of the reality of very small percentage of any of that being possible, not just possible, but just, you know, as in the way that things work, 
because even playing in college is a small percentage and even playing in high school is a small percentage. And so, so yeah, so there's a lot of pieces with that. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, there's this tweet that went around. I don't know if you saw it or not, but Justin Forsett, um, former Cal football player, former NFL player. Um, he posted a picture of a conditioning test that his nine-year-old son, a soccer conditioning test that his nine-year-old son was given. And he's like, I can't even, I just felt this test. You know, this oh is a, an elite athlete, pro, you know, former pro. And he's like, I just felt this, this running, this, this, you know, conditioning test for my nine-year-old son. Um, what are your thoughts on like stuff like that? Do you think like kids should be doing conditioning tests at nine or should they be, you know, getting their, getting their fitness up in other ways? Like what, what are your thoughts around that? What? <laughs> at nine? <laughs> oh yes. my gosh. Yeah. I, let's see. I'm trying to kind of think about what the cutoff is, but I think your conditioning and your fitness Um maybe yeah so nine you nine you just you gotta play just play let them play and that's what they'll do um having those kind of assessments i think is going to be detrimental to their self-esteem and their confidence um i mean i understand the value of assessing your athletes obviously that's a tool that we need in our kit for for coaching um but at that age i i don't think that's appropriate i think that's unreasonable and then this former professional athlete's like, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even pass this test, and my nine-year-old is going to be doing it. That's, that's wild. That is wild. Um, yeah, I don't think those things are. And, and like I said, I feel like it's just going to be demoralizing. Um, even if they pass it, you know, if I think about uh, college-age uh, young folks preparing for fitness tests, like it's a very stressful undertaking for them. Um, even if they've been doing it, you know, they're coming in their fourth year. It's like, it takes a lot uh, of space in, in your mind and your brain, um, kind of that pressure to, to be at a particular metric. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, to put that on a, on a youth player, I feel like that's, that's too much, too much of a burden to, to bear. Yeah, for sure. Like I said before, like I've never played, but I've, I have a lot of friends who played and who played at high levels professionally, et cetera. Um, and I always hear about the dreaded beat test. So I can imagine <laughs> like the conditioning around soccer and, you know, it's a lot of running anyway. Um, I could imagine the conditioning around that is a, is a stress point for a lot of players, you know, that um, beat test that'll give people nightmares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. So let, let, let's let's move a little, move a little bit along. Um, let's move along a little bit um, and get into you know kind of where you currently are. So you're the interim head coach at UC Santa Cruz. Um, congrats on that. Thank you. Um, so can you talk about like the variety of things that you have to manage on and off the pitch at the collegiate level? Absolutely, it's quite a long list. Um, yeah. So first of all, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to be taking on this position. Um, I was there in the spring season as the assistant coach. And then the head coach left for another opportunity. And so now I am the interim head coach. Um, I was previously the head coach at another D3 university in Oakland called Mills College. And I was the head coach there for uh, about eight years. <clears throat> and so, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm familiar with kind of the processes and, and the different bits and pieces of the job. Um, so... So you want to know kind of like what I'm in charge of, like what I have to do? 
that and then like some of the things that you kind of have to to manage like even off mm. the pitch so like you know there's there's relationship management that you have to do like you have to yeah. kind of keep track of players and their academics you have to deal with you know potential personal issues that happen off the pitch you yeah know, how, how, do, how do you kind of like manage all that stuff or like what are some of the things if you can share just like you know, without getting prayer into, you just yeah, yeah it's so yeah there's a lot of moving parts um in addition to managing the team that you have you're always managing your future team and so what i mean by that is in addition to establishing what you want to get accomplished so i'm coming on to the the fall 22 season but as I'm going through that, there's players that are coming in in their first year that are going to be there for hopefully three more years after. And so the things that I'm doing now with them, I want to grow and build into next year, the following year, and all the way through. So that's one way that I'm managing my future team. The other thing that's a huge part of this job is recruiting. And so mm-hmm. going to tournaments, scouting, doing all those kinds of things. And that that part of the job requires a lot of time and energy and you know talking to parents, talking to coaches. Um, and then end up going to a lot of ID camps and kind of talking to recruits on how they should be doing their recruiting process and how to kind of approach this. And so that, that part is also managing the future team. And so, so yeah, so that is, um, a big part of like the stuff that people don't see or know about. Um, if we just, if we stay present, like we're, we're being told to do often, you know, to maintain happiness and life life balance um the the day-to-day stuff is um kind of you know organizing practice sessions um organizing the use of facilities and um, managing uh class schedules and all the travel bits and what people eat and what their dietary restrictions are um and then as you alluded to kind of managing personalities and um dealing with whatever interpersonal conflicts might uh, come up, right? So uh, at the university level, you're working with adults, um, but it's it's young adults. And depending, they could be between 18 to 23, or maybe if you have grad students or you have older um, non-traditional students. And so it's this really kind of cool time in their life, critical time in their life as well, right? Their first, for many of them, it's maybe their first time away from home. And so kind of guiding them and managing what that means, right? To have less supervision or kind of this, this feeling of like, I'm free and, and how that impacts, you know, how they uh, prioritize their time. And so when, while we're in season, that's pretty straightforward. So uh, the, the players that come through have had this structure through most of their life. They've been playing competitively. They've been playing club. And those, you know, norms that happen around uh, practicing and going to tournaments and the grind of, you know, going to being gone like for three or four days and then coming back and do your homework or studying and those kinds of things, that continues into kind of the, the university uh, time as well, like being able to manage that. But yeah, this the interesting bit and, and why I enjoy this level is also kind of like this opportunity to discover more about who you are as a person and, and what you want and who you want to be, um, which is, you know, part of growing up for, for everybody. Um, and it's also like this really unique space, again, away from like your parents or your family and, and yeah, and you just kind of get to choose for yourself and, and you learn about, um, 
you know, whatever, whatever is curious to you um, in the university setting. So I enjoyed that, that piece of this kind of, uh, this arena, right? Being around uh, folks that are in this space of like discovery and being excited by things. And, and so, you know, the students will relay to me what they're researching or their internships or, you know, going international and all these kinds of things. And so that, that is a really cool experience to be a part of that. And, and then you also kind of see them through this journey as a coach and you'll end up being like, I've done a lot of letters of recommendation or uh, been a reference for a job or whatever it is. And you, you get to see this journey like unfold and um, what ends up happening, which hopefully, right, they come back and, and appreciate like the structure that you gave them or the different tools that we um, inadvertently teach them that, you know, that translate to life skills and, and being like responsible, caring people. And so that's a really cool aspect of this level as well. Nice, nice. So you mentioned you're always building your future team, right? What are your, what's your favorite place to recruit without giving away like any secrets? <laughs> My favorite place to recruit? Well, one thing I, I feel really fortunate, I mean, to, to be in California, women's soccer is, is fantastic in California. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of really competitive clubs where there's a lot of really great structures in place that are generating high quality female soccer players. Um, and so, so I'm really fortunate to, to be able to kind of just hop on down to Southern California. There's a lot of high level tournaments that happen over there. And then even <clears throat> here in Northern California. Um, so, so yeah, I think that that's, that's like neat that I get to be here. So I, I did just come off of a big run of like several weeks being down in Southern California and, and going to various like clinics and tournaments and things like that and there'll be people from wisconsin mississippi all these kinds of things and and i just like had to you know go down to my neighbors and like check it out i think that's really cool and then also for targets down there (laughs) any any what did you find any targets down there oh yeah Uh, yes yeah Yeah, absolutely absolutely yeah again there's there's a there's a great amount of talent in california and then also the tournaments that happen in california draw a lot of interest from out of state um Mm -hmm. players and so there'll be teams that are coming from arizona texas colorado and they'll come and play so so yeah that's that's cool so staying in state is nice um and then for i i think it just i don't need to go out of state um, right. because I'm lucky I live in California. And then the other piece too, is like, I work at a California school. And so there's a high demand for attending university in California. So I think that's another, uh, gift that I have as well. So California is definitely the cheat code when it comes to those things. <laughs> so you mentioned how busy your life is, you know, coaching, you know, managing <laughs> players on and off the pitch, yeah. recruiting. What do you like to do when you're not coaching? Like, how do you unwind? Okay, so this is a good question because, funnily enough, I'll just watch more soccer. Like, it's my whole <laughs> life. <laughs> um, so right now, so I just finished watching um, Copa America Femenina that was hosted in Colombia. Mm-hmm. That was exciting. So the Colombian Women's National Team qualified for the World Cup next year. 
in New Zealand and Australia. That's a huge deal. Watched all those games. Um, the final was against Brazil. Um, so that was fantastic to get to watch South America represented in this huge tournament. Um, I watched the CONCACAF tournament. So watching Team USA. I'm a diehard USA national team, the women specifically. I was like, love those, love those dudes. Big fan. Uh, follow them. Do watch all their games, their friendlies. And then the Euro. Who's your favorite player? Uh, my favorite player is Becky Sauerbrunn. Yeah. I'm nice. a big nice. fan. Um, actually, um, uh, I got to meet Becky. So so Coach Sam, uh, Sam Brown had some tickets to go watch them play when they were in, um, I think, was it, was it Levi Stadium? They had, a, they had an international game. And so mm-hmm. she, she invited me to come and I got to go. And like I ended up finding my way down to like the field, like amongst all the like eight, nine year old children that were like screaming and like <laughs> excited and like sign my jersey. I was wearing her jersey and from like a little bit afar, I like I turned my back so she could see that her name was on my back. Cause I was like, yeah. Becky. And then she waved me over and I was like, Yes. <laughs> and I got to go take a picture nice. with her. The picture of me is hilarious because I have like the biggest, like I look nuts. I have the biggest smile on my face because I'm just so excited and overwhelmed and like starstruck. But it was really fun and she was very nice. Um, but yeah, I think she's an amazing defender, um, very talented. You know, she's been the captain for a long time for a reason. I think she's very skilled and smart. And um, yeah, she's an excellent player. Yeah. How do you feel about this new crop of players coming in, the, the youngins? Oh, boy. They're so fun to watch. They are so fun. Um, it's been really cool to kind of see that progression. And it's been an interesting, like, journey to see, like, uh, I, I don't know how to say this more delicately, but, like, phasing out of, like, the veterans. And I think that's a challenge. Um, and especially, I, I don't know, like, the Team USA is always, women's team has always had such a deep bench. Like, always. I mean, that's always the talk um, that they could any one of that those team any one of those players on that roster could go and like crush it like any other team right so so yeah it's been an interesting uh journey to like watch how to utilize new players give them an opportunity to develop give them an opportunity to have the experience on this big stage you know these high level high pressure games high stakes and yeah they've been they've been doing really well so um, it's been really fun to, to watch those players um, uh, excel and thrive. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how that pans out um, next year. And can we make it a five feet? Like, that's, an, that's like amazing. Like, I can't even, I can't even fathom. Like, after the back-to-back, you wouldn't even think, like, how is this even possible? Because, like, no other team ever in the history of men's or women's soccer has done this. And so here we For go. Sure you know we're we're still ranked number one right in the world and can we make it a three feet holy macaroni anyway yeah super super cool super exciting um the the euro cup was really fun to watch too so and then england won that and the the other bit for that that was really exciting was like the support and the stadiums jam-packed sold out um and like that game that is being played, there's a friendly that's USA versus England. I think that's happening yeah. in a couple of months that sold out in like 10 minutes. Like it's, it's nuts. It's awesome. 
I love it. I love the energy around this. I love the fandom around it. Um, and it's just like such a key and exciting time for women's soccer. I love it. hundred uh, percent. I definitely um, am excited about, you know, the future, future of women's soccer for sure. Um, for, before we kind of shift gears a little bit, who's your favorite player out of the young group coming up? Oh, um, like as a as as a coach and like a talent scout, like oh, you looking at these young players. Well, Sophia like, Smith, right, she she's the one. She got it. Sophia Smith right now um, has just been so effective and just finishing and doing so well. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'll be honest, like during NWSL, Trinity Rodman was just out there just crushing it. Um, there's just like a lot of pacey, like courageous, relentless players. Um, and the finesse has just been amazing. But yeah, those are the two on my like watch list so far. But but like I said, there's like a whole everybody that's that's coming up right now is super talented. Um, and so like it's very exciting. But yeah, if those two were on my roster, I would like faint. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Definitely cheat codes. Um, so you talked about you know, even watching these international competitions um, and, you know, kind of going back to the women's uh, national team and how these young players are getting the opportunity to play in these high state games and these high pressure games. Um, We're starting to see uh, mental performance coaching, you know, happening a lot more, especially at younger levels. Um, How, how important is that type of training even on the youth level? Yeah, I think that's super valuable. Um, being able to kind of navigate and manage your like emotions and manage your stress and anxiety um, and uh, being able to kind of have this ability to kind of be in touch with what you're experiencing inside of you. I think that's super helpful. And at all ages, I think that that's not something that's like, you know, we talked about earlier about like the fitness tests or whatever for the nine year olds. And that was like, no, 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 no. But the mental skills stuff, I think that's great. And it's super adaptable and can be age appropriate and, you know, be moved around. And um, and like I said, I think that that is a really great skill to, to have is to kind of um, have this awareness of what's happening inside your, your mind or your heart or your soul or whatever we kind of want to, wherever we want to frame it, that, that these feelings are coming from, right? And being able to kind of temper those based on what's happening in your world and and yeah having like the language to to talk about it I think is super helpful um and then having kind of the awareness of how that impacts just mental health in general um I think that's been something that has come to light a, a lot more recently um about kind of athletes in particular having to navigate mental health issues and um right the environment of of athletes athletes or um and you know this kind of um this historical context of uh for instance um you know go 100 percent like um no mercy like like no blood no glory or whatever all guts like all these kinds of things where it's like put your body on the line like do everything possible never give up like yes and we also have to pay attention to what does that end up meaning and how does that impact youth and, and, or, or athletes in general that, you know, if, if we're kind of framing this thing about 
like for a long time like when i was growing up like it was about being perfect right mm -hmm. we want to be want to play practice perfect you want to play perfect and that term was used in in sports right that perfection is possible that you do more reps or you spend more time in the gym or you lift more weights or you do more sprints or whatever and you can get to perfect and now we're kind of in this space of like no like it's not about perfect right or even it's relative right and and even success right what what does that mean and does it mean winning every single championship and even if for instance you know colombia doesn't win the world cup does that mean that them qualifying is not a big deal or that they got to compete or be there right and so those are the kinds of things that i feel like with this um realm of um uh mental health skills coaching or whatever can address those bits and pieces and help kind of tease out um how these concepts apply and how to to help them perform and you know and benefit from them right because there are a lot of fantastic things that come from playing sports and having that mentality of like preparation and hard work and not giving up and and being relentless and not quitting like absolutely right but then the things about like okay but what what do i need to adjust if i am dealing with depression and does that mean i'm a failure because you know the state of my mental health can waver but you know, does that mean that I shouldn't be playing or does that mean I shouldn't exist? Right. And these are actual questions that that, you know, students tell me they've asked themselves as they're dealing with these mental health things and um, yeah. anxiety or having panic attacks or having whatever. Right. Because if somebody's having an anxiety attack in front of you and you tell them to suck it up, that's not going to be helpful to them. Right. Like and 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 that is kind of historically what you were told to do. You just like grin and bear it, suck it up. If you're in pain, just keep going, play through. And um, yeah, so so I think that it's really beneficial now, the, the shift in conversation um, and being able to navigate that. I think that's what mental skills training will give you the tools to deal with that. And I think the other thing that's going to happen is that you're going to learn to advocate for yourself, which is super critical and important. Um, you know, if we think about kind of the different, um, like lawsuits that are happening and like in women's sports in particular, right. Um, all this cases of bullying or sexual assault or all these things like where coaches are abusing their power, right. You know, the, the very first thing I was telling you is like, you used to say, I'm in charge. What I say goes, nobody else like matters. Like, if I tell you to jump, you better jump. Like. And, and we're moving away from that, but it still exists. And so if you are helping athletes kind of understand their value, their power, and understand how to um, hone in on that, if those things are happening, they're going to be able to advocate for themselves. They're going to be in a better position. And I think, I mean, of course, our job is to, to take care of our athletes and, and make sure that they're getting their needs met and, um, you know, be there as much as we can for them. Um, but I think it's it's... The, you know the athletes that i've seen that come in with those skills do really well and so yeah i think that's beneficial for for all ages yeah no definitely definitely very very important um what is one of what has been one of the craziest experiences for you as a coach that you could share <laughs> like what's, like what's a situation that you've been in like this is wild you know something that kind of just blew your mind oh my gosh 
Um, what can I share? Hmm. Uh, I don't think anything is coming to me right now. That's like wild or like out of control. Um, I think that, you know, coaching college and, you know, kind of referred to like this moment in time of like discovering and understanding and, um, you know, one of the things that's happening in the culture of like being in college is testing boundaries. And so, I mean, I don't know if I have like one thing, but I know that's like something like you don't want to deal with as a coach is like if your students are are drinking or doing drugs or doing those kinds of things or or making choices that you're like, why did you do that? What was the point? <laughs> like, yeah. how did that help anybody? Like, <laughs> um, but you know, you can't say that. But you do. You, part of the job is is um, helping athletes learn how to be accountable, um, holding them accountable, like creating boundaries, being consistent. Um, but I don't have any like stories, like I've heard stories and I'm just like, yeesh. <laughs> I think I've been pretty fortunate. Um, that's good. That's good. <laughs> um, all right. So, you know, you're a member of our town council. Um, so we're going to put our town FC hats on for okay. a moment here. Let's do it. Um, so we're, we're seeing a huge boom in visibility in women's sports. You know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, um, especially women's soccer. <clears throat> but, you know, statistically, you know, a lot of girls drop Ooh, out of sports around like, age 15, um, 16, yeah, so that type of um, I don't have any kind of like... So what are some ways we can kind of keep that you know, participation like level high, especially on the soccer to side? To how to address it. I mean, I, I think that what we need to do, um, you know, of... As, as we kind of think about youth soccer or supporting youth soccer and in particular girls and women in sports is that we need to continue to create opportunities um, to play. We need to continue to advocate for female athletes. I think that, um, you know, making sure. So one of the things we were t- I was talking about with another council member is kind of this, this idea that, it is possible to make soccer your career as a female. Like it doesn't seem possible. It doesn't feel possible. And the reason why it doesn't is because they don't get paid very much. And so, um, you know, in building this uh, women's program for the town, that's something that, that I want us to be very intentional about that. We're being equitable in, in uh, financing our, our athletes in their participation uh, for this, for this career, for their job. Uh, because, that is something that, you know, stops stops people in their tracks. They're not going to be able to play. You know, you get to college, and you're a high level athlete. You're an elite athlete, and then for for soccer, the the track kind of gets a little hazy and fuzzy, right? For for women specifically, for men, I feel like there's a there's a way more um, pipelines. There's a lot more pipelines that exist to give them the opportunity to to play professionally. But that's not the same for women. Um, so I think that's one is like it's beyond you know when you're a child and you're getting to meet becky on the field you're excited and then you get to be a teenager and you start to learn and understand the ways that you're marginalized and your access is denied and the quality of your field or your uniforms or your bus is different than the men you start to check out 
because yeah, it's, it's a fantasy, right? It's not true. It's not real. It's not possible. Um, and so, so I think that's another space where, um, you know, everyone needs to do better in terms of supporting girls and women. Um, yeah, like even, and now it's 2022, we've had, you know, more, uh, awareness and calls to action around this. And I'll still have players that will talk about, you know, the trainers don't treat them the same way that they treat the boys team or, um, you know, if this is my experience as a coach, you know, as a grown person, as an adult that's been doing this and, and this is my job and I've been trained where um, people will come, I'm training on a field and they'll just come and act like I'm not even there and try and take over the space. Um, and so that's like a more societal issue, of course, but like if I was a football coach, if I was a man, I don't believe that they would dare come onto the field until I was gone instead of just assuming that they can just take over the space, right? And so like yeah. bits and pieces like that, I think um, reinforce this idea that this is not a space for me and why they want to quit, why they leave, right? right? And so that that age, right, that adolescence, that shift into like teen to young adult, that's when you start to become way more aware of the inequities, um, yeah. whether they're explicit or implicit, you know, these biases that are happening towards uh, females and women in sports, if we just kind of talk about sports, um, that, yeah, kind of discourage you and and you'll get discouraged along the way. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is kind of like, how are we adjusting our coaching styles to our athletes? What are we doing to honor their needs and, um, you know, I hear this a lot in the coaching community is like, girls are just better at listening. And so I'll see coaches when they're giving their, their lecture, right? It's practice. The practice has been happening for 20 minutes and they haven't gone anywhere because the coach is still talking to them. And, uh, you know, and, and so then it's like, oh, girls are easier to coach because they'll do what you say. Right. And so this is kind of the other dynamic that ends up happening. Like, even if you don't say like, you're disrespecting me right now, um, it's happening. Right. And so, yeah, I don't want to be in a space where I'm disrespected. I don't want to be in a space where I'm invisible or I don't feel valuable. Like that doesn't make sense. Right. And so I think that's another kind of breaking point for, for females in, in this realm of soccer. Like that's, that's something that happens often. And then, you know, the, the, the role models end up being like a really important thing too. How many women coaches are there? How many women coaches are coaching high-level club teams? How many women coaches are coaching college teams? Now that number is growing and it's definitely bigger than when I was a young person. Um, but I think that that still continues to be, you know, part of this, this solution. Um, and then why aren't there more women coaches? And are women coaches getting paid equitably? No, they're not. Um, are women coaches getting the same, well, I'm not going to say the same opportunities, but that, that same, you know, we're, that's a, that's the other issue, like in this, in this profession where we need to kind of continue to create these structures that understand and take into account that this has historically been the situation, right? Um, the, the, the value that is put on me as a female coach is, has not been recognized often. Um, the, yeah. Am I able to like support my family with my wages? Am I, you know, all the things that I just said about uh, a woman trying to play professionally, 
is true in the coaching world as well. And so these children that are not seeing women in these positions of power, in these positions of, you know, coaching or whatever, again, it, it continues to be kind of a way to dissuade participation. And so, so yeah, I think that's another kind of adjustment that needs to be um, understood and, and shifted um, in the attitudes, because even, even if you say, you know, I'm going to hire these women coaches, or I'm going to put women on the council, and you're just kind of being like, okay, well, you're just in charge of women and the women stuff. Like, that doesn't really take into account my, my level of knowledge or expertise or experience in general and the impact on soccer. Or even if we say the reason why we want women's soccer is because people have wives and daughters that play soccer. Rather than saying the reason we care about women's soccer is because it's a central part of soccer and the growth and development of soccer. And we can just keep it to the U.S. if we want to. And so, you know, this this kind of narrative of like the only reason we should care about women's soccer is because I have a sister. And then that's not valuing that women are equal people in in humanity that's not valuing that they exist or that they have a say or care just because like it's in relation to men it's relation into i'm a husband that has a wife and so that way that's why i care about women's right. soccer or women's sport and so that's a big problem too that that's another thing that we need to be more aware of in our discourse and in our conversations that that's not why we're doing this we're doing this because that's what's going to grow the sport in general and because it matters because we care about all humans that that exist and that we understand the power of soccer and how that um you know gets has a um a happier society or or whatever like more globally and so that's something that i think is really important that we bring into our conversations and discussions and in particular with our club with the town that we're not going to say that the reason why we want women's soccer is because oh yeah because my little girl one day blah 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 no it's not just in relation to you, right? It's not just in relation to men. It's in, again, if we are really going to be um, serious and intentional about the development of soccer, we need to acknowledge everyone that plays. And it's not just men. It's not just boys, right? And so, so that's something that is super critical. That's our show for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. Follow us on the socials at the town underscore fc stay up to date on important news around the club by signing up for our town chronicles newsletter at the townfc.com and as always tweet us your comments on the show any topics you want us to discuss and more peace out <laughs>